Hello everybody, it is Kevin coming to talk to you before the show, which can only mean one of two things. The first is that Devin has run off, leaving me behind to do the show by myself as he explores his new life as a dinosaur fighting jet pilot. Or it's that Devin is here, and the only thing I need to let you know is that my audio for the first half of the episode is messed up and that I forgot to turn my mic on and then realized halfway through when it comes back by the end of the episode. Which is, it's the second thing. That's what I'm telling you right now, is that my audio is slightly messed up, and that Devin is still here. Isn't that good? Aren't we all now relieved that the audio is messed up, and that's the only problem? Devin's still here. We still have a fantastic episode about a great song. I really, really appreciate it. And again, the audio gets better in the second half. So I hope you enjoy it, and I'll see you in there. Let's see if I can just do it off the top. Go for it. Hello, everybody. My name is Kevin Virga. And <laughs> you're doing great. No script. My name is Kevin Virga, and I'm joined as always with my co-host Devin D'Agostino. Devin, how are you? I am alright, and I am yeah. playing no games. Me and Devin are going to play a few games today because we're going to stop making sense. And what that means is every episode, Devin and I choose a new Talking Head song to analyze and ponder. And we let our minds wander to uncharted realms of science and comedy and music, where we answer such burning questions as who took the money, who took the money away, where, where is my common sense, what's the matter with him, and where is that large, large automobile? All this and more coming up on this episode of Devin and Kevin Stop Making Sense. That was right off the dome. So I'm excited going into this episode. Devin, what song are we doing this week? We are doing Slippery People off Speaking in Tongues from 1983. But this is one of those awesome talking heads, David Byrne song that appears in two live concerts, both in Stop Making Sense and American Utopia. And Kevin, my question for you right off the bat is what is your favorite version? Ooh. Okay, well, I can say that my least favorite version, or my, yeah, my least favorite version is probably the album version. I rarely listen to that one. It just doesn't have the same energy as the live performances. Some Making Sense version is my definitive thing. But I do like the American Utopia version because it just feels a little wiser. David Byrne's a little older. He has more people behind him. He takes his time with it, and the differences in the American Utopia version highlight everything I love and the energetic nature of the Stop Making Sense version, which I love so much. I like that, and I think in a future episode, we definitely have to talk about the maturation of David Byrne between Stop Making Sense and American Utopia. I rediscovered that album version. I think I had almost never listened to it. I first mm-hmm. found Slippery People through Stop Making Sense. It's interesting. Yeah. It's different. A little more techno, a little like synthesizer, electronic. Yeah. A lot like other songs in Speaking in Tongues. But speaking to the American Utopia version, because in that American Utopia version, I love that little drum line in like the third quarter of the song. I'll listen to that over and over, just that section. But I think, and maybe we'll just go right into it right away, is that American Utopia is a more explicitly religious version of the song. Wow. That was actually a conversation we had a while ago, back in August of 2020. And we ended it talking about whether science can be a religion and if what we do, meeting 
once a week to talk about and almost worship talking heads in a way <laughs> is a religion. This is almost in a religious experience and that you can have a religious experience, especially in American Utopia, because that was transcendent. I left my body. So I'm fascinated, absolutely fascinated in what you mean by a religious interpretation of the song, because I did not see that at all in this song specifically. First, remind me to come back to Left My Body, because that's going to be big on some of the stuff I want to talk about today. Why I think American Utopia is more explicitly religious is the movements they're making. When he goes up and he looks and he says, God help us, and he looks to the sky, and throughout the song, and at the very end, they almost end in prayer. I'm doing it on an audio medium, but you can picture me, if you have any idea what I look like, looking up into the sky with my hands up, looking at God, asking for clarity. One of the main things I think of like religion, church song, is the call and response. It feels very like gospel-esque, which is cool too, because Mavis Staple, a gospel singer, and a civil rights activist actually covered this song, Religion. I'm curious. So you didn't get religion out of this song. Yeah, I, I saw this almost as a godless experience wow. where it was, I saw slippery people. My question back to you is, I mean, you don't need to answer this right now, but what is a slippery person? What makes a slippery person? And when I heard these lyrics, it just felt like outcasts of the world just trying to make it and convince each other and find trust in a distrustful world. That's what I heard about. So when I saw God help us, help us lose our minds, I wasn't, I wasn't picturing a evangelical experience where they were looking up and, and looking to God. Seriously, I felt like they were looking and mocking this godless society of God help us. Where are you? We need your help to find the truth and light in this dark dingy world down here with all these slippery people slithering around here interesting i got a lot there so yeah. first this is something i realized only upon this um listening this i guess experience with the song so often when i'm looking for my stop making sense i'll just type words in the song that stick out to me into google and like see what comes up but i've spoken about it before my first introduction to a lot of these songs was during childhood and since childhood to today, literally 20 minutes before we start, sat down and recording, I interpreted slippery people literally as people who were slippery and sliding around like a snail or something. Only once reviewing it did I remember that slippery has another definition, like someone who's elusive. I think there's a secular and a religious interpretation to it. So a slippery person, I don't know if there's that connotation comes for you as well, but like almost like a slippery preacher like trying to convince the people, trying to convince the masses to believe something or like, you, you know, you picture those big mega churches and someone there leading it and they wear the slick back hair and they're slippery. But I did have a secular interpretation of it too. So maybe we'll start with that. Like a common theme in Talking Heads songs, David Burns music, is this idea of like struggling against post-modernity in society, making sense of a world that doesn't necessarily have sense or all is determined outside of us. We talk a lot about like existentialism and Heidegger, which I think is a common theme, this idea that we live in an absurd universe and all of the meaning comes from other people. And this song, again, could be, I think, interpreted in the lens of someone trying to like break out of it, especially that line, put away that gun, this part is simple. Don't try to rebel against it, just sort of go with the flow. 
be like a wheel inside a wheel, not really going anywhere, just spinning endlessly, following what the people have to say or what the people around you are saying. The lyric of turn like a wheel inside a wheel has always caught my eye and ear. It is one of the defining lyrics of this song. It's what the song ends on. In almost every version, the last lyric song is turn like a wheel inside a wheel. Now that you do mention it, it does seem like it has a religious connotation. It's just concrete enough to feel real, but it's also just abstract enough. The wheel inside the wheel sounds like a duality and a innerness, outerness aspect that I see in Christianity and maybe Buddhism or more Eastern philosophies. I was just, I'm just so taken back by like, a true religious approach to the song because I felt like I was so far from God during the song that I'd like you just to continue. What, what are some more thoughts you have? So I, want, I will jump into religion, but first, actually, I think we should hear a word from our sponsors. All right, thank you. So back to what we were talking about. What's the matter with you? Let me tell you what, aside from this, I tried to write it down so I would get it right. And then I decided to just go with it. But I have in my notes here. It didn't work. I spent like a good 10 minutes trying to get down everything he said. Whatever. So religion in this song. We've spoken about this actually in a previous episode. And I can't remember which one. Maybe you do. But glossolalia, which is like an incomprehensible language no control over it, which is also referred to as, this is like the Rosetta Stone, I think the Da Vinci Code of David Byrne, we're gonna break them down today. Glossolalia is speaking in tongues, is how it's colloquially, colloquially referred to. And glossolalia is most associated with Pentecostal Christianity. It's the kind of Christianity that emphasizes the Holy Spirit, it's energetic and dynamic, a lot like this song, I think you use the word energetic. And it's all about faith being experienced. And midway through the song, we have this glossolalia from David Byrne, where he speaks in this incomprehensible language. And that's, I think, what sealed the deal for me, that this is a religious song, that it's like he's this preacher in a church, right? And he's doing, they're doing the gospel. What's the matter with him? He's all right. The Lord don't mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he just breaks into the glossolalia where he's overtaken and he's speaking in tongues in this religious experience. Oh, I really like that. Very different than how I always interpreted that gibberish going back to your ad of, of our sponsor this week, of just transcribing that in like classical Western musical notation on a, you know, like on a, a tablature. From what you just said, I really like just the phrase of faith being experienced. This song is active, like it's in the moment. They're not really singing about a topic or a being or anything that isn't there. The lyrics are all very present. You brought up call and response. There are people communicating, trying to figure something out in the moment. When they're saying, what's the matter with him? He's all right. How do you know? The Lord won't mind. Don't play no games. He's all right. Love from the bottom to the top. They're not focused on anything else, these speakers of these songs. 
not like and she was for example or sugar on my tongue or strange overtones where it's like this pining person observing this person that isn't there they're communicating in this so i do like that idea of faith being experienced being in the present moment and that's when you have these evangelical moments of clarity and godliness when you're totally totally present in your life um and i've been personally maybe we can get into this later but just trying to chase that feeling because i think it's one of the most scary terrifying but also fulfilling moments in your life is to feel utterly present it's interesting because i interpret that end part as just gibberish but you found god in it that's amazing i want to go more with that um faith is experience because i think it's a very interesting topic because usually we think of faith as something meditative, right? Like monks sitting in a temple and just contemplating God or away in a cloister somewhere. And you mentioned Eastern philosophy, wheel inside a wheel, which is, it's a lot like Hinduism, which is a wheel. And then Buddhism is sort of escaping that wheel. But it reminded me, so when we talk about faith as experience, most of Buddhism is about meditation and mindfulness and being aware of the world around you and spending years and years and years of studying to reach enlightenment. But there's one form of Buddhism popular in Japan, and I think parts of China called Zen Buddhism. And some people refer to it as slapstick Zen. Like it's a very comic form of Buddhism, but the idea behind Zen Buddhism is the way to reach enlightenment isn't through meditation, it's just something that hits you. And there's a classic Buddhist parable, really it's a joke, um, where the guy goes up to you know the wise enlightened monk and he says help how do i reach enlightenment what do i do i've read all these books help me reach enlightenment and the guy hits him with the stick and he leaves okay fine he's not going to talk to me and he keeps reading he, he assumes oh well then he must be telling me you got to keep reading why are you asking me you got to find this on his own so he goes back he's reading these books he's doing the meditation he does, does everything he's told right he goes back to the guy again he says I, I'm doing everything I can. I don't know what to do. He hits him with the stick again. He goes back. He's doing it. And this repeats back and forth. He continues to study. The man just keeps hitting with him with the stick. And then finally, right, he goes back to him. He's like, what do I do? What do I do? The guy hits him with the stick. And suddenly he's enlightened. And he's like, oh, this is what you were telling me. Get outside of my head. Just experience life. This is how you reach enlightenment. And the guy hits him with the stick again. Which is all to say that this Zen Buddhism and actually the idea behind it, the fact that, because you're supposed to meditate on these stories, this guy keep getting hit by a stick. But the idea is that this experience of faith, this connection with God or enlightenment can't come through study, but needs to come through experience or shock, sort of like laughter or a joke. That a joke, if you overthink it, you're not going to laugh about it, but you just sort of get it and that's it. And then it's yours. Well, we're touching on a lot of previous episodes. Firstly, Glossolalia, we talked about with The Great Curve, which we also felt was a godly song, but in, in a different way. And then the idea of Zen Buddhism, or I think you may have called it now or then slapstick Buddhism, was episode two, The Good Thing, where we were talking about Nietzsche and Buddhism, trying to break down what the good thing is. And I like and since then, I've actually done some more personal research and um, meditation in the Buddhist 
uh, tradition, I have a lot to learn. That's what I've learned from that. But I do like this idea of being hit in the head to discover presentness because there's almost nothing more present than pain. When you're in pain, your brain isn't anywhere else but just in the moment of this hurts so bad. I don't care about anything else. It's almost like when you're on a, a different kind of pain, you're in a car ride and you're going to Disney World and you're so excited. And you're thinking about all the, the rides you're going to go to and all the characters you're going to see. And then you have to pee really bad and you're still an hour away. You're not thinking about Disney anymore. You are fully, fully in the moment and <laughs> experiencing just pure uh, pressure, I guess. <laughs> but it's it's in these like odd um in these odd moments of pain or embarrassment or something where uh these moments of clarity could happen and these religious experiences could happen because you are not focusing on anything you're not worried about what's for dinner tonight or what your boss said to you or the next book or movie you're gonna read or watch you're just in the moment and i hate to move away from this and then say why it's bad to be in the moment but now my mind's going to like stoic philosophy and in stoicism they're all about that you can't control the things outside you you can only control your judgment of them your reaction to them and with pain specifically they say when you're in pain you should meditate on the fact that pain isn't endless otherwise you wouldn't feel it because you get so used to it that it wouldn't matter you've been there's been times in your life before pain there will be times in your life after pain. So their whole thing is to focus on seeing it as something ephemeral, something that will pass. And that's also why you hear in like Stoic philosophy, why you should take a cold shower every day to get your body introduced, used to dealing with painful experiences. So when they happen to you, you can make the judgment on them that they're not as bad. Give you one more little like anecdote here from Stoicism, just because it's cool and I like it. There's a story about from ancient Greece and there's this philosopher and he's on a boat and it's a thunderstorm. And it's like a really bad thunderstorm. The boat's going everywhere. And on his face, some, one of the crewmates walks up to him and his face is terrified. And the guy starts laughing at him and he says, your whole philosophy is about controlling your emotions, about controlling yourself, about being ready for all these things. And here you are in a storm in a practical experience and you're freaking out. And he's like, we can't control the reason I'm doing this. This doesn't go against my philosophy because we can't control our initial instinctual reaction to it. The thing we can control is how we react to our reaction. So do we judge it as bad? Do we judge it as something just outside of our control? Where do we go from there? Totally irrelevant to what we were talking about, <laughs> but there's something I wanted to bring in because I was thinking about it. Well, this is important. And this is, this is the point of the show, is to just let our minds go a little bit. And just to bring what you said to a personal experience and maybe put a, a time stamp on this episode. I'm getting my second vaccine on Sunday. My parents just got their second vaccines last week. It's, it's mid-April. It's April 15th, 2021. Now, uh, my parents were getting last weekend or no two weekends ago two weekends ago on easter my parents were like a few days away from getting their respective vaccines and we were spending easter in my uncle's house in the poconos pretty remote place just trying to stay safe but trying to spend the time with the family now person that we had in contact the week prior 
just called us on Easter morning and said, hey, I just tested positive for COVID. And I reacted. I was scared because I we all had one vaccine dose in us, but I felt so close yet so far away from the reprieve of full vaccination. And I reacted. I was scared. And I got angry at myself and my parents and the person that was sick. And I just lost control because I was this whole pandemic. I've avoided it so far. And I can't believe we're so close. And I let, I blew the, the ball of the yard line. And also at the same time, I'm reading the book, Being Peace, about living a peaceful Buddhist life. And it was, it reminded me of that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. A wonderful, wonderful book. I've learned so much from that book. But when the chips were down, I reacted like a fool, an emotional, scared person. And while I forgave myself and apologized when I need to apologize, I was disappointed that I I learn all these things. It's like that Buddhist monk that goes to the wise teacher. I'm reading all these books and the teacher's like, well, now experience it. Actually put it into practice being peace. Don't just read about it. So I learned a lot from that experience. Luckily, the person who contracted COVID is doing well. My parents, we all tested negative. But yeah, just like it, I had to put my money where my mouth was and, and live these experiences in the present moment as opposed to just reading about them. It's always a good lesson, though a tough lesson to learn. Well, I think all of these things are revolving around the idea, which I think is very important, is not taking yourself, not taking things that happen to you too seriously. Being willing to take a step back and have a little fun. But on the other hand, bringing it back to the song here, I think this is the exact opposite of whoever our protagonist, whoever the main character in the song is, because they're clearly trying to hide what they're actually feeling. So I'm looking at these lines like, what about the time you were rolling over, fall on your face, you must be having fun. Sort of like you trip and you try to walk it off like everything's okay. Walk lightly, like there's other things going on, but you want to sort of stay under the radar put away that gun. This seems like someone who's very anxious, very stressed out, on the verge of something really bad, trying to hide it, taking things too seriously. Almost the exact opposite of what we've been discussing now, which the Stoics, the Buddhists, they're all trying to tell us to do. I really like that interpretation of that section. Walk lightly, think of a time after you just fell on your face. It, it really is like what I just did. I just fell on my face. I, I didn't practice what I preached of peaceful Buddhism. And I had to get off. I had to shake myself off. It's kind of like when you trip on the escalator and you just were like, oh, no, I'm just jogging. Like you just kind of shake it off. And then you think of a time that you kind of don't want to be in the present. But also like um, this thing is real. That was a that was a line that would, I would meditatively write over and over again in my journals when I was a senior in college because it was just such a surreal experience being a senior and just being alive is also quite an experience so I just kept writing this is real life this is real life over and over again because I feel like I was just in such a fog that that was my meditation to come back into the present is that this is real life and it goes back to what a few episodes back um, where the secret of life is that this is not a drill. This is real life. This is the ball game. Now we can go two ways with that. We can either be utterly terrified that this is the one life that we get. We're constantly scared of being present. So we create an ego that's so thick that no real emotion can get through and we can live 
peacefully in the deep trenches of our minds, or we can surrender to reality, open ourselves up, which is equally painful and scary, but in a much more fulfilling way. And both of it originates from being present, being vulnerable, and knowing that this thing is real, whatever we're holding, thinking, or feeling, experience it. The present moment is all we got. I mean, and I promise I'm not going to bring him up again because I don't even like the guy. But Heidegger's philosophy, right? You're stuck in the everyday life and you need to be thrust out of it. You're not realizing that this thing is real. It's only when you take a step back and realize this is it, right? This is my one existence. And I have the opportunity to make it something I want to be or just to continue with the everyday life until the end of my life and maybe not even realize. Which again, he never, and I haven't really stressed this in the past, he never makes a value judgment. So if you choose to live your life with the crowd, that's fine. But if you choose to break out of it, he refers to it as authentic life. I think the German translation is a little different than our idea of authentic. Then, and you picture your life from your deathbed and go back on it and reflect on it, then you're living that authentic being. Bye, Heidegger. Going back to that stressed out guy though, I really like the part too, because I think it like, it's a very, not a universal experience, but one that's easy connect, to connect to. Sitting in the tub, pull out the plug, the water was running out, cool down, stop acting crazy, they're gonna leave and we'll be on our own. I'm someone who will like meditate in the shower. Like when I, not meditate, but when I'm stressed out or something, I'll just sit in the shower and totally separate myself from everyday life. And then you turn off the shower or pull out the plug on the bath and the water's gone. It's interesting. I'm going to take a step back because I'm saying I'm separated from everyday life and I'm letting my mind water in the sh wander in the shower. But really, I'm focusing on sensation I'm realizing because I'm feeling the water on my body. And I'm sort of, that's like the major thing I'm focusing on. But then when the water stops, air, when you don't have that protection that you needed, when you're back in contact with the air, you have to realize, okay, what's going on? calm down, get your towel on, dry off, and get back into reality. You can't hide away in the shower from reality. You got to start doing things. Well, a few things that you said reminded me of one of my favorite books, Franny and Zoe by J.D. Salinger, which I read like twice every year. The first was the idea of becoming a bohemian, like really breaking the mold and finding a life that suits you by going outside the common way of doing things. I think David Byrne is a is a real eccentric character, that rock star for decades, an accepted weirdo and artist, a figure of living a life that's truly full of experience and to the fullest. Cool thing about Salinger and a big thing in his nine stories that comes up a lot is Salinger is very fascinated in Buddhism. So as we talk about like faith and meditation, Maybe there is a Salinger connection there to be found. I do find a lot of similarities with this character speaking, this neurotic, anxious person trying to find some sort of solace and asking all the wrong question, it seems, and trying to find some reprieve in God in Eastern and Western religions with Zoe Glass, who is a little bit older than Franny. He's a successful actor, and he's kind of like already been through all the existential dread that Franny has gone through. And he has an ulcer and chain smoke cigars. And he's like, God damn it, there's beautiful things in this world, but we self-sabotage and don't let ourselves to get it, get there. And brings me back to the line, this part is simple. Try to recognize what is in your mind. I think that's 
a Buddhist idea in that it's simple if we let it self-accept, self-observe, and just be present with your emotions and let them play out. Because when we start thinking about thinking, that's where we start to lose ourselves. Neuroticism or too much of this hedonism, that's when we start to become slippery people. And these are the people that Franny and Zoe despise. Franny says that it's all about ego, 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 and her college professors don't make anything beautiful, and that all the actors and directors that Zoe works for just make these self-congratulatory, normal, predictable scripts, and they all think it's so great. That's what Mrs. Glass says, which is, like, what's the point of being so smart if it doesn't allow you to be happy? And I think I find that little nugget of hope and solace in that line. Try to recognize what is in your mind. I love that we're going with Stallinger, and I, I want to talk more about him, too. No one portrays a mental breakdown, I think, better than Stallinger. That's very understated, I think, is the biggest thing, too. It sort of happens. I, it was so cool at the end of Catcher in the Rye when he's in the asylum. It's totally different from everything else. Diatribe number two. If you don't like Catcher in the Rye, you're wrong. I, my, I remember, This stuck out to me so much. In middle school, right? No, high school. We read Catcher in the Rye and all these kids are like, I don't like Catcher in the Rye. Um, Holden Caulfield's so whiny. He's so annoying. The only reason you don't like Catcher in the Rye is because you are Holden Caulfield and you're not willing to accept that. Because every American, every white American teenager is Holden Caulfield and they're just as whiny and just annoying as he is. And the reason you don't like it is because you haven't come to terms with what you are. So if you don't like Catcher in the Rye, you can stop listening to this podcast. Also, if you're an anti-vaxxer, you can stop listening to this podcast. If you're from Arkansas, I don't know why you're here right now. Get out. <laughs> Come back to me. Come back to me. I had the religious experience. I was going into the glossolalia. But why I wanted, what I wanted to pick up on what you were saying there, it's so interesting with Salinger because Salinger is always writing about elitists, right? All of his characters are elitist. Holden Caulfield's a private school kid. Franny and Zoe, they got this nice, fancy New York apartment. Everyone in nine stories. But the common theme is this like frustration with esoteric people in academia, this phoniness, right? What Holden Caulfield says over and over, phoniness, fakeness. It's, it's always been such an interesting contrast to me because Salinger's so clearly like part of that. And all, that's all he writes about. And yet he's critiquing it all the time too which I think David Byrne and Salinger, there's a lot of connection there. We talked about Salinger mental breakdowns. No one portrays neuroticism better than David Byrne. And also this sort of disconnect with talking heads. They come out on the stage, they're wearing these suits, they're wearing these nice clothes. They're coming in with like this preppy rock that we haven't really seen before. And yet all of their songs are trying to break away with that. No society, society's like pushing us down. We're stuck in the everyday, we gotta get out of it. And yet they're so fully immersed in it. Oh, wow. Okay. I mean, that's what Franny Glass says, is that if you go bohemian, you're conforming just like everyone else, just in a different way. And I love that idea that if you don't like catching the rye, you're just self-denying the reality of that you're an asshole. We're all assholes. Every, every one of us is an asshole. Sorry. Phony. You're, we're all phonies. We're all egotistical. We're all self-serving. We're all hedonistic. We're all assholes because we can only experience ourselves. So as much as you want to be outside ourselves and truly understand other people, we're never going to. Careful though, because we're getting into dangerous territory. We don't want to be solipsistic, which is the idea that I'm the only consciousness that exists in the universe because I'm the only one I can fully understand. Breaking everything down. What if everybody outside me is robots? I have no way of knowing. 
and saying, well, I'm the only thing in the universe because I'm the only thing that exists. True. I, yeah, <laughs> sorry, I got carried away there too. But the, the whole thing is, I mean, you're right. When you read Salinger, the thing I think you're supposed to ask is, wait, am I an asshole? And then the answer is, yes. yeah, yeah, you're an asshole. I'm an asshole. I'm Kevin, and I'm an asshole. And it's so important to, to be open to that. Because if you, if you close yourself off from the fact that you're a flawed person, then you just can't progress. And you just act out against the thing that's holding a, a mirror to you. God help us. back i'd like to hop in talking about american utopia and maybe a few of the differences between the two songs because you found that there was this religiosity that we were discussing before that you you saw it a little more in the american utopia version i found the difference being its delivery i saw a lot of conversationalism and dialogue and discussion and urgency in the lyrics here and that's what i saw in the american utopia version it slowed down a little bit, just like the studio version. And it seems like David Byrne really takes the time to talk to the audience. In the performance of it, you really see him come to the edge of the stage in between funky dance moves to like look the audience in the eye and to really deliver these lines. If you are watching the American Utopia HBO movie directed by Spike Lee and seeing David Byrne speak to the audience, that he is speaking to me. I am in that audience in that show. At the very end, when there's the big applause scene, if you look in the top left, the person clapping off beat, that's me, audience members. So <laughs> look for that. But yeah, maybe reflecting on the change between David Byrne's performance in Stop Making Sense versus American Utopia, because it is more, I think it is much more conversational, much more meditative, even the way he moves. I mean, there's still, and he does, he alludes to like some of those classic once in a lifetime moves for these podcasts. I'll watch the Stop Making Sense version, then I'll watch the American Utopia version, right? One after the other. And they are totally, they're almost like totally different people. Mm -hmm. And he looks so young in um, Stop Making Sense. And he doesn't necessarily look old in American Utopia, but he does look wise. I was just surprised that Slippery People was put into American Utopia, which seemed to have a message about the world healing. And the Talking Head songs that he chose to put into American Utopia seemed to be pretty selective. Don't worry about the government and this must be the place have messages behind them and a feeling behind them. And Slippery People just seems like something that I was just surprised to have have been placed in American Utopia. So what do you think? Why do you think he chose that song? And also, what made you visually react? Like, what came to your mind? Well, first, responding to your question, I haven't, I, now I really want to, and I'm looking forward to going back to American Utopia and being deliberate in his song choice. Because that's very interesting, and I think you're very right, and now I want to grapple with the fact that where does Slippery People fit into this? 
We also have iZimbra, but maybe that's for another time. But I got excited right now because I think I, I figured out these different renditions of slippery people. So I earlier in the episode, I talked about this interpretation when we're talking about religious, the Pentecostal. <laughs> guy in the bathtub, guy putting away that gun. Here's like our neurotic 20-something-year-old who has been seduced, not in the sexual sense, but like in a, this person has, like a cult of personality almost by this older preacher. All right, I'm setting the whole stage for you. We're in this southern town, right? Very small town. And you have this preacher and you re- know he has control. This old David Byrne, this older David Byrne, the American utopia David Byrne. He's slow with his words. He takes his time. He he's ta- It's like he's talking right to you during every sermon. But there's power behind it. And there's control and there's something sinister underneath. And there's this 20 or something year old, this neurotic 20 or something year old who's going crazy listening to this preacher's words and it's driving him nuts and the preacher might be suggesting him to do something something related to this gun right maybe you're like thinking taxi driver with robert de niro which is a film that i've never seen keeping <laughs> up with our theme here but this person who's seduced by something this powerful person to do something bad and at the same time then you have the chorus almost like this greek choir um reacting to the play going on What's the matter with him? And the preacher says, don't worry, he's all right. And the guys like, and the, the people, the, uh, the um, choir says, well, how do you know, right? The people from the church, the people in the town, how do you know? And the, the David Byrne from American Utopia says, the Lord won't mind. And the people say, don't play no games. And he just says, he's all right, don't worry about it. And they move away from it. Love from the bottom to the top. Oh, we should love him. We're taught to love everybody. And he got neurotic stop making sense david byrne being driven to insanity that insanity that explodes in that most moment of glossolalia and then at the end turn like a wheel inside a wheel maybe then either he's just going through the motions i think during the glossolalia moment is when he does this crime he assassinates the senator who's visiting the town because older david byrne the preacher doesn't want him there and then maybe the wheel inside the wheel he's in He's going to prison. He's like going away on the prison bus. He's in chains in the orange uniform. And he's looking out and he knows that American Utopia, David Byrne, did this to him. He destroyed his life. But he just has a calm, right? He's done the deed. He's been seduced. He's been taken over by this person. And now he's just going to go with the flow, continue forward. Is that a plot of a movie? Because if not, we should make that. <laughs> it's in my screenplay. Wow. I think it it takes it's like you know I'm a it's taking from a bunch of different things but it's a trope I think you have that small town preacher who seems innocent who seems okay but drives someone to insanity maybe it's a plot of taxi driver which I'm you know using as my model here but I've never seen and have no idea what happened during <laughs> I think it's about a guy who drives taxis I, it re- actually reminds me what you're describing is um there will be blood the the preacher of Eli this this young small town preacher who while projects and convincing himself of a of a form of self holiness and purity he's really just as much as a slippery swindler as Daniel Plainview and Daniel Day Lewis's character so this idea and they both go mad at the end there is a religiosity in a lot of talking head songs we always find it example being once in a lifetime i think is the most apparent but i was just also looking at the placement of slippery people within american utopia 
And also, I was also thinking a lot about it in Stop Making Sense. So why did he choose Slippery People? And you meant I, you mentioned Izimbra, which he plays Izimbra, which goes into Slippery People, which it goes into I Should Watch TV. And I feel I was showing my parents Slippery, or I, I was showing my parents American Utopia. And in the beginning, they were just like, I don't get this. I mean, this is weird. And I get it. American Utopia is weird. American Utopia is weird. And I kept saying, like, no, wait till the end of Slippery People. Like, that's when the gist of American Utopia and, like, the message starts to unravel and un- unravel and like you see this bigger view that David Byrne is trying to project while I think before it where we go here and lazy and this must be the place it just feel like feels like a prologue of like getting the everyone acclimated to the show but I just felt like the end of Slippery People where he's like doing the where he's just making nonsense and their position where he's like kind of going back and forth between these two crowds that are beside him that's where i was like oh wait that's that's not just gibberish like in the stop making sense version where they're all reverbed out and have all these weird effects on their voices and they're just making weird noises he kind of has like a message where that's why i felt like maybe it's a preacher or just a person just like spewing for lack of a better term bullshit like there's just two sides bickering and they're not getting anywhere it's just nothing it's just noise and silliness and I feel like the world is full of that. I mean, the the name of Talking Heads comes from Talking Heads on TV that are just more or less have a negative interpretation, especially in the 80s, of just like spewing misinformation bullshit to, to quell the crowds. Sorry for being crass, but this was like the visceral reaction, like the realization that I that I had about Slippery People when I saw American Utopia and I saw this slowed down version that it's not as frenzies as Stop Making Sense, where he, like, David Byrne takes some time to show the audience something grander. I've got a lot of reactions, and I'm just going <laughs> to inundate you with a bunch of bullshit, continuing with our theme here, because I just want to give you everything, and feel free to pick and choose what resonates with you. Okay, so, Slippery People, I think it's interesting. David Byrne in Stop Making Sense looks a lot more slippery than David Byrne in American Utopia. But in my little story here, the American Utopia David Byrne, the old preacher, he's the slippery one. And the one that everyone's asking, what's the matter with him? He's the normal guy. He's not the slippery guy. He's the genuine person. He's the person who's just been corrupted by this wolf in sheep's clothing, this preacher who says, this is the way you need, this is what I want you to do, or pushes this sort of message to him. Interesting, like it deceives you almost. What's the matter with him? Okay, we assume that's a slippery person, but that's not a slippery person in the story. Okay. You talked about Daniel Day-Lewis. That's cool, too, because I was looking at some interpretations of the song, and a lot of people related to The Crucible, which is another play about a small town that's corrupted by religions, about witch hunting and how these women, to get rid of other women, like claim other people to be witches and religious zeal and being corrupted by religion. Daniel DeLewis is the lead actor in the movie of that. Because mm. I want to go back now. I do want to be deliberate in like looking at the set list. It's something I never do. I think I've mentioned it before. Is a lot of my experiences with Talking Heads where it's sort of disparate songs. Very rarely did I listen to an album the whole way through until we started this podcast, which gave me a to- whole new experience. And especially with Speaking in Tongues, I want to return to too, because I'm thinking there's a lot of religion, Moon Rocks we talked about, um, science, religion. With American Utopia, tying back into the beginning of the episode, it's something totally experiential for me. Mm-hmm. And you talked about how for your parents, it's like they had, you're like, get through slippery people and then you can get the message of it. 
and your sort of experience, you very much meditate on it. Yeah. Which gives you a richer experience of the thing, but you're meditating and reflecting on the songs. You're finding a story. I think for me, it's just something I experienced going back to our two different forms of Buddhism, Zen Buddhism versus the more classic one. Neither of those, or, you know, Heidegger again, neither of those is authentic or inauthentic. Both of those are ways of experience. I think that's the thing about faith too, is that faith is a very personal experience. It might be good for some people to meditate, to read the Bible over and over again, to focus on specific passages, to just think about it. And for others, they just want the pure experiential glossolalia where they're just overtaken by it. Yeah, my most recent realization for this song is coming through with this moment here. And I'd like to get your take on it. We're talking about this religion, this preacher, this character, this frenzied character that gets initiated into this club or or cult thing that he probably shouldn't have gotten involved in. And I did find this now both internal, looking within the song, and then also externally looking at the song in the grander context of a set list. I was thinking that this song is about and is itself initiation. It's initiating someone to a church. What's the matter with him? Are they in the in-group or the out-group? And it's like, oh, no, he's all right. Like, trust me. But then also, talking about my parents, and my dad specifically has done this many times. He did this today while I was watching the American Utopia version um, of Slippery People. And he's walked in a bunch of times now where Slippery People is playing in my room or with me and my sister in our office. I'm like playing Stop Making Sense straight through. And he always walks in at the part where it's gibberish, babbling, weird, like dance. Like this time he was during that like synth, so- like piano solo. David Burns just like rocking back and forth, like in a circle. And my dad was like, watch it for a second. I was like, Shh, okay. And like walked away. And I was like, no, you had to like get through slippery people. I kept saying that. And my sister's like, what is this song? Like, this is just madness. And I'm always like, no, it's good. Like, it's amazing. And that's because I think I'm on the in-group. We have experienced American Utopia. We have made this religious reaction to stop making sense. (laughs) We have this in-group mentality where we understand the song. But if you're looking at it and you're not initiated into David Byrneism or talking headism, you just see it as weird gibberish. That's the initiation. Like, if you like slippery people, you've been initiated into, into as a talking heads fan, I think. And it's interesting, we talk about this gibberish and making sense of it, and we brought up glossolalia. And to the outside person, it sounds like gibberish. But for Pentecostal worshiper, that is like the highest form of religion. It's mm. being overtaken by the Holy Spirit is the idea behind it and totally experiencing God. If you'll join me, I want to stop making sense and potentially disprove God in this stop making sense as we talk about religion no no oh my god now because (laughs) you'll see wow so i took a deep dive into glossolalia i think it's fascinating and i read the neuroscience of it so taking the religion and making it scientific 2006 study from university of pennsylvania school of medicine by newberg and colleagues they use single photon emission computed, computed tom, excuse me, they use single photon emission computed tomography. Basically, it's just a way to look at the blood flow in different areas of the brain to say, okay, when you're doing this thing, there's a lot of blood in this part of the brain, which means it's active. And we know we've mapped out the brain and we know that some parts of the brain are responsible for specific functions. So they mapped out 
blood flow when people were singing a hymn and speaking in tongues. And they found a significant difference. When people were speaking in tongues, doing this glossolalia, there was a decrease in function in the prefrontal cortex. The prefrontal cortex, they call that like your mammal brain, that's all about executive function and cognitive control. So this is your higher thinking area of the brain. This is shut down during the glossolalia. Also shut down are parts of the temporal lobe. Temporal lobe is associated with hearing and language. So you're shutting down those language parts. This also relates, 1984, they were doing studies on this as well. They found spikes in the temporal lobe during glossolalia, which is just to say we're seeing a lot of changes in this area of the brain, this temporal lobe. I'm gesturing, it's basically around where your ear is. Has responsibility for language is a big thing. Now, here's where it gets cool. People with temporal lobe epilepsy often claim to experience religious or mystical experiences. So the activation of this side of the brain, the activation that of this language part of the brain, the temporal lobe, results in religious experiences, according to people. We talk a lot about meditation. I'm going to come back to that, so we'll put it to the side. Out-of-body experience. That's what I told you to write down and I'd come back to. So Newberg says that in some sense, glossolalia is the opposite of the concentrative processes of meditation. All of those areas of the brain that are being activated during meditation are being turned off during glossolalia. You're less aware. You're disassociating. Another study, Christopher Lynn, 2011, um, looked at it. And interestingly enough, he found out that glossolalia resulted in a reduction in cortisol, the stress hormone. People were less stressed when they do it, did it because he theorized they entered a dissociative state. You know, their consciousness was separated from their experience around them, which is what those studies suggested too. However, it is interesting to mention that there's increased activity in the parietal lobe, which is responsible for the sense of the body, and the amygdala, which is responsible for emotion during glossolalia. So a lot going on here. Now, Lynn and others theorized, and this is a quote from the article that I read. Um, this was an article from Dana.org. Glossolalia may involve variability in dopaminergic genes. These are just genes responsible for the release of dopamine, sort of the pleasure hormone, believed to also mediate susceptibility to hypnosis. So when we're doing glossolalia, let's just wrap it all up here. You're activating the same genes that are related to susceptibility to hypnosis, and you're activating these parts of the brain where people say they experience temporal and mystical experiences. So if we want to take it as far as we can and really stop making sense if activating this part of the brain this temporal lobe can make us feel religious experiences and this glossolalia which is actually deliberate people can ready themselves for it but they're taken over once they go into it can get us feeling this religious experience is there a god or is it just a part of our brain is activating and making us deceiving us into believing there's something else some higher power thinking about death and how our whole perception of the afterlife might come from DMT getting released into your brain while you're dying. And I mean, people take DMT to have psychedelic experiences and connect to all carbon-based life on Earth. So I'm sure when that gets released in high dosages while you're dying, it's pretty psychedelic. And those people that die and then come back to life and say they saw all these things and felt all these things, was that God? Does God rest in the brain? 
is the, is the question. Can we recreate God with a pill? What limits this godly experience is the reasoning part of your brain. And I think a very religious person would say, sure, that doesn't disprove God at all because faith isn't logical. You don't find God through logic. It's about taking a leap of faith and having a primal feeling of godliness that it can almost reinforce this idea of God, that God is even more innate and existed long before we had our logical reasoning brains. That being said, if you believe in Genesis and Adam and Eve and you think that we just kind of popped up on Earth fully formed with our whole brains intact, it could you can give you a run for your money. But faith and reason... This reminds me of the good thing where we're like, can these things be two can these two things be rationalized? Do they are they mutually exclusive? Going back to the song, maybe getting to a little bit of a conclusion here. Is turning like a wheel inside a wheel a good thing or a bad thing? Because when we get to that point of the song, it feels almost like the wheel is slowing down, but it feel it is a big we talk the song overtakes you. It's energy, it's like it's like this glossolalia experience. And then you get into this last layer, turn like a wheel inside a wheel. And it like slows down and the wheel is slowing down. Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Do we want to get off the wheel? Do we want to stay on? Is that what grounds us? Is that where we come down to? What do you think? Oh, I really like this. The idea of overtaking you. Now I'm going back. I'm going to try to relate this to Stop Making Sense and the position of slippery people within the set list of Stop Making Sense. Stop Making Sense opens. You're introduced to David Byrne. You're introduced to Tina Weymouth. You're introduced to Chris France. You're introduced to Jerry Harrison. You meet the talking heads. Found a job. They funk. You realize, wow, these guys are pretty funky. Pretty cool. Okay. Let's say you're watching Stop Making Sense for the first time. You're like, wow, this is kind of weird, but it's pretty cool. Four, four people in the band, pretty standard. Okay, found the job ends. Jerry Harrison takes off his, his guitar, gets on a keyboard. Steve Scales comes out. Lynn Mabry and Edna Holt come out. The bongos come in. Chris Rand starts playing. We're right into Slippery People. There's no going back here. This is the initiation. If you get through Slippery People, you are on the wheel inside the wheel. You can't go back. You either love it or hate it. By the end of that, you are initiated into Talking Heads because it gets so weird and it so overtakes you with funk. And it's such a good song. I just kept saying that over and over again when I was listening to this. Like, how do you make this up? Especially when I was listening to this, the studio version. Like, they wrote that down. And I realized that this idea is amazing because the Talking Heads have now broken out of Talking Heads and have introduced more and more artists. It starts with Steve Scales and Lynn Mabry and Edna Holt, and then you get more and more artists on stage. And I also like how this is a song that's unique in that it's built around, the vocals are built around expanding the voice outside of David Byrne. The, the song rests on the fact that other people are singing and this call and response is so pivotal. So all of these things of introducing new musicians onto stage, having these call and response vocals outside of David Byrne, also having all four Talking Heads members being credited on the writing of this song. And then also this idea of hopping on this wheel inside a wheel after deliberating of whether we should let this person in or not. And then at the end, at the very end of that chorus, everyone's singing together 
turn like a wheel inside a wheel. We all agreed in the end that we're going to hop into this wheel and go together. And after keyboard solos and funk guitar and dancing oddly and rocking back and forth, if you make it to the next song on Stop Making Sense, you have been initiated. And there's no going back. You fall in love with it. I just watched Stop Making Sense with a friend for the first time. And after Slippery People ended, he was like, whoa, what song was that? And I was like, oh, man, that's Slippery People. I've kind of had to take a break from David Brand. I've been, like, talking heads out, and wow. I hate to admit it. But wow. we were recording Slippery People. Finally, for the first time in, when I say talking heads out, a week and a half. Finally, for the first time in a week and a half, I put on some talking heads. I listened to Slippery People. And yeah, I was like reinitiated. I was totally back in it. I can't stop. I couldn't stop listening to it. I watched every version. I watched the cover of it, the Mavis Staples version. It's really awesome too. Her collaboration with David Byrne, which is shot on someone's phone in like shaky video. But this song, like the Glossy Lalia, like being overtaken by religion, like being slapped in the head with a stick, it takes you over. You lose that executive function, the frontal lobe shuts down, the temporal lobe goes away, and you're just totally immersed in it. And like you said, there's no going back. You're stuck on that wheel like the hamster, and then eventually you get to the point where the wheel is rotating without you, and you're just riding it along. It's like when Franny Glass is searching for praying incessantly, you say the Jesus prayer, and eventually it takes over and self-actualizes it, and you don't need to physically think about it anymore. It just takes over. You're on the wheel inside the wheel. Devin, you're a born-again talking headsite. You've come back to the way. My son, the prodigal son, has returned to Devin and Kevin. Stop making sense. We were talking about this. We had some really light, late nights talking about how you were talking heads out. You thought, you know, we listened to Swamp endlessly for like a week and a half. We are going to do Swamp this week. You were really down on yourself. We said, how about we do Slippery People? And um, I, it's good to have you back, buddy. It's good to have you back. That's all I can say. Good to be back. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Namaste. Thank you. God help us. All right, I can't. I I have so much more to say, but the wheel will just continue spinning. So I think I think we got. What do you think? You have anything more, or should we end it here? How are you gonna stay hungry? Oh wow, I'm gonna continue meditating. I've been meditating a lot. I'm going to now. I'm just gonna use this song as a little bit more of a motivation. And and whenever that line comes around of this thing is real, this part is simple, try to recognize what is in your mind. It's just another nice thing to have and meditate on, so. And try to practice what I preach, trying to find peace within myself, and also just keep rocking out to this song, because it is so good. What about you? Yeah, I mean, we've talked all about experience, but I want to take that more meditative mindset and go back. Now I'm excited to look at the set list and try to form a narrative, try to form a story. And at the same time, I want to be like the wheel inside the wheel. I want to sort of be like that hamster. I'm running on this wheel, trying to get out of it, trying to run against it, and eventually just laying down and letting it, you know, rotate with me. So <laughs> both taking the time to think, to focus, to reason, and also throwing reason away and just experiencing. Turning like that wheel inside a wheel. Turn like a wheel inside a wheel. That's where the talking heads ended, so I think that's where we should end it now. Devin, always a pleasure. That's our show. Not making sense. Mm-hmm.